Welcome to the podcast. This is Fergus in Chicago. Today we talk with Bridget Unger. Uh, Bridget is co-chief strategy officer for Abbott Mead Vickers BBDO in London. And my apologies to David, to the late David Abbott, uh, for referring to the agency as Adams Mead Vickers in the episode. Sorry about that, David. Um, we're here today to talk about a campaign that Work says is the second most awarded creative campaign in the world in 2019, I believe. And that is the Viva La Vulva campaign. Now, the Viva La Vulva campaign is actually the third phase in a three-phased campaign that's happened over the last five to six years. And it's happening in a category that has um, been doing some really great, smart work. And it's the feminine care category. You may remember the Always Throw Like a Girl campaign from a few years back. Uh, also the Dove Sketches and Dove's campaign for real beauty. And more recently, there's been the Thinks Menstruation campaign, which asks us to imagine a world in which men also have periods. Great work to have a look at. Uh, so the, um, the La Breast and Body Form campaign, the Viva La Volva work, um, has sort of... Um, bubbled up in, uh, in the last couple of years amongst all of this great work. And Labresse is actually the name of the product across Europe, uh, the mainland Europe, where in the UK it's known as body form. So there are, uh, you know, as I said earlier, three different phases to it. The, the second phase was blood normal. And that's when their work really began to blow up and people began to really take notice of it. And, and what the focus was for that campaign, it was the recognition of the fact that uh, in general society, in society, we're not comfortable talking about periods. And there's an awful lot of taboos and stigma and embarrassment associated uh, with, with periods and the and conversations around periods. So the goal here was to sort of, sort of drive a normalcy around having a conversation around periods. And the fact that, you know, one of the great symbolic um, elements of this was the fact that blood was never shown in a, in a tampon commercial or a, or a commercial for, uh, for period pads. It was always that blue liquid. One of the goals was to break that taboo with blood normal. Um, the third phase was Viva La Vulva, and that was built on an, on an insight from planners that basically noticed two things. One was that uh, women were getting surgeries on their vulvas to kind of have what they would call the perfect vulva. Um, and also with the mainstreaming of porn, there was this sense that, uh, that there was a, uh, a normal vulva. And uh, Viva La Vulva is about celebrating the fact that there are many different types of vulva and there is no one perfect vulva. So it's a celebration of all women and, um, and a great work has come out of that. What we, uh, what we hear throughout the episode, I'm going to drop in the uh, spots, but unfortunately there's no voiceover on the spots, so all you really hear is the music. But I wanted to include them because I really wanted to tease and encourage people to watch the spots. So after you've heard the episode, you can go online and you can search on YouTube and find the, the first phase campaign. You can search Red Fit. The second phase is Blood Normal. And the third phase is Viva La Vulva. Uh, one, uh, one thing before we get started, I wanted to mention um, that when you hear it or see an episode in your, uh, in your, socials, your social feeds or you notice it online somewhere, uh, it's nice, of course, when people hit the click the like button. 
but it's actually more useful for us if you click the share button or if you retweet it. And that's because when you do that, you actually help us reach the much broader audience, uh, people in your network, as well as the networks that were already baked into. So if you can do that, uh, a retweet or a share, click the share button, that would be awesome so we can get the word out about these episodes. So this is the conversation with Bridget Onger. Enjoy. So welcome, Bridget. It's great to have you uh, on the show today. Thanks for taking the time. I know you're in New York. I am. It's my pleasure to be here. Thank you. We would love to talk about uh, the, uh, the whole campaign and the way it's evolved. It's very uh, thought-provoking work, and I think it's something that's had a real impact in culture. I, I think that I think most, of us, most of us planners over here have seen it through YouTube and, and different platforms, but this was, this was a campaign that evolved over a number of years, starting back in 2015. But I thought we could start off by, by kind of setting the stage from your perspective on, on what the brand or brands, because we're talking about two brands here, um, but what were the brands doing prior to 2015? Great. So if I go back to 2015, um, we were invited to pitch actually for um, Bodyform, the brand in the UK. It's called Libres in continental Europe, but it's the same brand. We were invited to pitch. So obviously, we do a sort of analysis of what's going on in the market and what the brand was like. And I think it's fair to say that most of the brands were conforming to quite a few of their kind of category tropes at the time. You can imagine women in white pants, you'd call them here, <laughs> uh, roller skating uh, with uh, cutaway to product demos with blue liquid being poured to demonstrate how effective the products were. And it did look like the category really hadn't moved on a lot in 20 years or so. So was this, was it an ask by the client that there be sort of a more of an assertive challenger perspective, or was that something that, that you guys recommended? I think it was something that we recommended, to be honest. Um, I, I think um, sometimes it takes an outsider, doesn't it, to challenge some of the conventions that potentially when you've been in the category for a long time, you don't see. So I think it was one of the perspectives that we brought to the category. So what was, what was the client ask during the pitch? The client gave us a brief that said, we want to celebrate um, women being their best selves. Can you come up with an idea that potentially can run globally for this brand that celebrates you know, how we can help and women be their best selves? So, so this was on the heels of a, a bunch of other work in, in related categories. Is that fair to say? Because by that time, probably Dove Sketches was out. There was, yes. there was yes. a more of a sense of addressing self-esteem and breaking some taboos in near and distant categories. So was that, uh, that kind of led to the thinking, you believe, from the client side? I think so. I, I think that must have been part of it. You're right. There were some early emergent brands that were beginning to sort of champion women and put them center stage like Dove. Um, and even in, within the category, there were little shoots of brands that, even not as their mainstream communications, potentially in their more cause-related activity, uh, such as always, were beginning to champion women and girls. And so that was the, the, the throw like a girl campaign? That's right. That's right. Yeah, yeah strong um, stuff. Yes. So I, I definitely think that was beginning to happen. And, and our, uh, when we went to pitch for the, the brand, we said um, there was a real job to sort of acknowledge um, or understand that potentially women's lack of confidence sometimes did hold them back but we were going to be the brand that didn't remind them of those fears we were going to champion the sort of spirit that we wanted to them to live with and we came up with this sort of uh, live fearless 
and it was a real sort of trying to say to women just go and be all that you want to be and do all that you want to do and so what was the what was the unique the unique role that you guys could play in that idea of live fearless uh, as a brand um, I think we felt that because we were offering women out protection, that we could say to them, you can be confident to go off and do all and be all that you want to be. It was based on a sort of product truth that they really um, torture tested their products to an unbelievable degree to make sure they did give women sort of security to go off and do what they needed to do. So this this started in terms of what I've read about it. This started in 2015 around sort of um, the experience of Heather Watson at the Australian oh. Open, right? And, and so yes. I'm curious, was that, was that after the pitch? Well, yes, it's, it's really interesting, the journey, because I think one of the lessons that I've learned from this is, is you don't always start. Um, well, you have to start somewhere, don't you? And then you have to build on it and work out what you've got. We actually, after we'd won the pitch, we made a, a few commercials that were really... Um, better testimonials but they were still quite close into the way that the category performed and they showed women doing extraordinary things but able to kind of live fearless um but i think it then sometimes takes a little tactical opportunity to work out what you're really about and heather watson the british tennis player had crashed out of the um, australian open and she said when asked what had happened she said i was on my period and it was the first time that we'd heard a high-profile sportswoman acknowledged that she had a period and it might affect performance. So we ran a tiny little tactical ad that was just um, the blood, sweat, tears, um, the last taboo in sport, and it had crossed out blood. And um, that got picked up and it began to get attention. And I think um, it was on the, off the back of that that we thought, hang on a minute, we've been thinking that this brand is about helping women you know, overcome their lack of confidence. But actually... Part of the issue we've got here is there are taboos in the category that are holding them back. It's not just their own confidence. And it did give us a, a new perspective, I guess, and a new lens on what Live Fearless should be about. Because I think just in that little moment, we've begun to see that you can't ask a, somebody to live the life they want if there are taboos that are restricting their ability to, to live the way that they want to. So, so this is about stigma and shame yeah. almost yes uh, both of those things and also just an inability to talk about something and if you can't acknowledge it or talk about it you can't then seek help if you need it treat it as a normal bodily function it's it's as you say surrounded by sort of mystique and shame and women were we had all sorts of facts at the time around you know how few women felt that they could talk about their periods and how many i think nine out of ten women acknowledged that they hid their periods from others and almost half the women that we interviewed around the world said that they'd experienced some sort of period shame of someone embarrassing them around their periods. So, so that was that's 2015. Yes. Was there was there a, sort of an evolution then from from the Heather Watson um, opportunity that sort of led to Redfit? Yes, I think it gave us the courage to say, could we be a bit louder and prouder around this issue around um, women in sport? And so we made a longer commercial, as you say, called Redfit, that really celebrated um, female sportswomen, uh, all wrapped up in the thought, no, no blood should hold us back. And that was the sort of rallying cry that we created around that. And it was a tribute to, you know, you bleed in sport, but you should also be able to bleed with period blood.
Yeah, I think that was the interesting twist on it was still subtle, yeah. but it was but it was stronger than than the year prior in terms of the, you were getting closer to being as honest and di- and as direct as you wanted to be, ultimately be. Is that fair to say, or was there still really, I think that's a really good uh, analysis of it. I mean, I think we 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 felt our way through this, <laughs> and I think that's one of again. If there was a lesson to learn, it's that you don't get it right first time. You feel your way and from working out what you're beginning to sense has got some traction and got some interest you begin to work out what your point of view on the world could be but you're absolutely right it's a it's a journey as they say so was there any resistance for red to red fit or was red fit sort of accepted as being not not uh, over the line that you'll eventually be, be accused of of going towards I, I think red fit was um less controversial because it didn't show period blood which I think we're about to go on to is where all the controversy begins to happen. So I think it was a it was a step, but it wasn't um, it didn't cross any lines that people found tricky. So, so did you find with Redfit that you began to see a bump in the brand perception or the awareness of it or, or a transaction? Was there any metrics at that point where you were thinking, okay, we're going in a good direction here? Well, we began to see that the brand got um, shared and talked about in a way that it hadn't done before. And a bit of context, you know, Body Formula Breast is usually about the third brand in a market. It's massively outspent by the competition. So it needed to start doing things that punched above its weight because it was never going to be able to outspend the competition. So one of the metrics we set ourselves was how do we get a disproportionate amount of fame for the brand? And when you... When you look at the competition, just as a, 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 a momentary sidebar here, what, from your perspective, how do you think that uh, the competitors, which I think are Tampax and Always, how do you think of them as being positioned through your lens? I think we touched on it earlier. I think they've both begun to understand that they've got a role to play in women's lives that sort of champions equality and so forth. And I think they've done it more at a female level i think what we tried to do was identify the area that we had the most right to play in and we've called it the sort of v zone and so there's so many taboos around just that part of the female body the v's end is that what the, you say the v zone as in the, the v zone you know, as in vagina the v zone. yeah exactly okay. and if we if we narrow our area of expertise to the, the v zone the vagina then that gives us a, a place to play that feels more ownable for us as a brand rather than taking on every every cause that we could do on, on, on women's behalf. So we felt that that was the, the right place for us to be. That's, a, that's really interesting to hear you say that. That's mm-hmm. so smart. What about Tampax? Tampax, Tampax to me, I, I, I can't recall anything from Tampax. I can't think of anything from them that's been sort of provocative or interesting. No. Maybe I'm missing it. No, I, I think that, that's, that's fair. Um, I think they're more of a brand that has, a, has built its heritage on a clear product um you know um something different to the category and they've built it that way and i don't think they have at the moment felt particularly the need to get behind any specific cause or issue so let's turn to so red fit uh, which is themed around this idea of no blood should hold us back does, does that run for just for one year and then you evolve to blood normal Yes. Um, I mean, the truth is we, we, we made that um, copy. It lived online. Different markets took it at different times. But yes, we then wanted to, to do something um, again that began to tackle an even bigger issue that we'd uncovered. So, so tell us about that. What was the issue that you'd uncovered and, and 
Tell us about what, what ultimately, became, ultimately became blood normal. Well, I think I've alluded to some of the statistics already around the shame uh, and the taboos around having periods with women hiding their periods, feeling like they'd had some kind of period shame, not able to talk about it to others. And then when we looked at the communications in the category, it felt that we were conspirators in that because we weren't talking about periods and we were showing blue liquid. We weren't even showing the, the blood that is associated with periods. So I think it was a series of moments where we just thought we're not doing enough to overcome period shame. And was was period shame more present in uh, younger girls, in in, in women? Or did, was there any any uh, distinction or anything notable about that? Not particularly. Um, it, well, that's another thing that's interesting. I think it's um, you could talk to any woman and they'd experience some form of period shame. So the first time then that blood was actually shown mm. on in a commercial and <laughs> uh, replacing the the blue liquid that was you know tr- traditionally placed a, a, on a on a on a pad or across or, or in any situation. Yeah. And then you and it you, nearly wasn't. <laughs> it got banned in the first instance. So it very nearly wasn't shown. So uh, t- tell us about that. <laughs> so part of the challenge was as soon as we took it to the media owners, uh, they said, no, they can't. Uh, it, it couldn't be shown. And then it led to a whole series of, um, I think one of the things we learned was that sometimes you have to um, use judo against the things that you still believe to be injustices. So we actually then talked about the fact that it wasn't being allowed. And eventually the by getting that sort of having greater publicity around, we've been banned and we can't show it, eventually led to the overturning of the ban and got it, um, got it aired. But I, I, I'm going to summarise that. That's, that's months of effort. And at this point, I, I have to acknowledge that although you're interviewing me, there is an amazing team, um, both at the client side and at BBDO, who've sort of made this possible because the number of challenges and obstacles at any point, this very nearly never saw the light of day. What do you call a girl on her period? Call her next week. And I'm interested in hearing more about that because I, I think that, the, yes, this is a challenger brand, but it's also an organization that doesn't want to screw up yes. un, unnecessarily or make any, you know, make any uninformed or take yes. any uninformed risks. So, so tell us about this. You, you're, you're going to break, you're going to break the taboo. Mm-hmm. You're going to, you know, you've got to know, I think that there's going to be some, um, um, some yeah. backlash yeah exactly and you bring it to the client what's the reaction from the client Just, are there a level of nervousness or what well there's there's a level of ner- nervousness but there's also a, a level of belief that it's the right thing to do and again one of the things i've learned is if you feel that you are doing the right thing and you have enough consumer evidence on your side to say they back you and you're doing the right thing for them 
then you have to just keep going despite ob obstacles. And those obstacles can be as much internal within an organisation as they can be media partners or anyone else. Because there's a number of people, the reason there are taboos is, <laughs> is because people find a lot of things uncomfortable. Um, and uh, there were a number of people that were very worried about this. So you need to have the facts on your side and you need to have a plan, I guess, for if there is any sort of negativity around it, what you're going to do with it. We're towards the end of 2017, roughly by this point. Um, yeah. Blood Normal has been out in the world in different, on different platforms and in different ways. How do, how do you stand at this point in terms of business growth, in terms of brand shift? Give us a sense of that, of where you stand. Well, again, we've got some metrics that began to really show that this brand was achieving some of the uh, recognition and, and talkability that we'd, we'd aimed for in terms of it being um, beginning to be a brand that punched above its weight because we've still got the same issue where relatively small spends for a brand that is got, has got some giant competitors. So we were beginning to see uh, greater sort of traction for the brand. I think the other thing that has been interesting is there's other metrics. I mean, obviously, we've made a cultural impact here. We've um, got it got peers talked about in places they've never been talked about before. So there's a broader impact beyond sales. There's also an internal entity benefit here, which is it's beginning to put marketing for a, a company that it, origins are in forestry. They were basically, a, a, you know, they grew trees for a long time then worked out they could make more money from turning those trees into absorbent paper. And marketing, they've come to relatively late. So I think these campaigns are also putting marketing on the map for Assety, helping them with their internal recruitment, finding the very best people that wanted to go and work for them. So I guess there's a number of different metrics you can look at, all beginning to say this campaign is doing positive things for them. What I've read is that the, um, that the, sort of the, the scope of the portfolio changed. And so it was no longer just about about periods and pads that it had now a broader uh, feminine hygiene uh, scope and the product offering. And that was partly the reason why there was this evolution to Viva La Volva? That's right. They wanted to feature a, a broader range of, range of products that weren't just um, pads and so forth. They were body washes and wipes and so forth. So much more in their area of um, femme care, not just feminine hygiene and protection. Tell us about how how Viva La Volva came about and why. Well, again, back to the power of um, consumer research. It's really interesting, isn't it, when you can begin to um, delve into some issues that are, are around. Um, I talked about the V zone. Um, and one of the things, and you'll see it at the end of Viva La Vulva, someone saying, you know, most people, most women haven't even seen their own vagina, let alone anyone else's. Right. So there were all these issues around big people, girls, really young, beginning to um, think that they had to sort of have uh, plastic surgery to uh, change the shape of their vulvas. That um, we had all sorts of, you know, um, cosmetic surgery going on around this area. Um, girls not going to have you know various medical checks because of, of a nervousness around showing their body parts and there are all sorts of issues when you just don't talk about a body part or don't even think about a body part that is so fundamental to being a female and i think one of the things that i read was that 
that you guys have written is that the explosion of porn, which has been around for yes. obviously for decades, but yes. it's sort of ra- it's sort of raised awareness of this this concept of the perfect vulva. That's right, and it and creates a totally um, unrealistic aspiration for women. And so another thing to yeah. affect women's self esteem is the rise yes. of porn. Exactly right. Exactly right. So we just thought there's something here that again, if we're going to be the brand that really understands this area more than anyone else, we can't sort of condone. And this, 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 that's going on in society that is um, giving women, as you say, more things to be insecure around. So, hence the mood of Viva la Vulva, a positive celebration of the female vagina. And I think what's interesting for me is, is the tone of this is you can be purposeful and you can tackle taboos, but how brilliant when you can do it in a joyful, optimistic, you know, positive way. And that's I think why the film has got so much traction because it takes an issue, but it does it in such a, you know, uplifting way. Oh, that that's interesting too because I didn't, I never thought of it that way. Um, mm. Tell us about how the optimism is reflected in the spot. I think it's the um, the, the the music, the colours, the tone, everything about it, even the language. Viva la vulva! It just sounds yeah. gloriously positive, doesn't it? Um, and I think that's why I personally love it so much. It's just got a spirit to it that makes you feel good about yourself. We've come a long, long way together Through the hard times and the good I have to celebrate you, baby I have to praise you like I should You're so rare so fine I'm so glad you're mine You're so rare So fine I'm so glad you're mine You make me glad I'm the one As a strategist, what is the briefing to creative or how do you get to the point of, of that briefing? Well, I... I would say, and I've got to acknowledge um, an amazing French woman called Margot, who is the a strategist on this on this business, and um, she is forensic in the in the way that she uncovers interesting facts that she lays them out for creatives. Because I think you have to lay breadcrumbs for creatives. You can't give them one big meal; they don't know what to do with it. <laughs> you have to give them little bits and snippets that they build a, an idea from, and she has been amazing at uncovering things from culture from reading from watching from observing that she creates a a world for them to say this is the kind of thing that we need to do something about and i think that's probably our role isn't it breadcrumbs if that helps so so the v zone as a concept was developed prior to viva la vulva so or not yes yes that was our overall strategy we were continuing to tackle the taboos in the v zone it's just as we expanded into new products, we felt that there was a specific issue that we needed to tackle, which was women's you know, lack of understanding of their vaginas. So was the reaction, well, number one, was Viva La Vulva, was it actually a, uh, did it, does it run as a TV spot? It hadn't done um, until very recently, and it, it has now run in France as a TV spot. But not in the UK for any particular yeah. reason. It, 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 it was, you know, I've, I've sort of alluded to the fact that um, budgets are tight. It had, it had run in various digital forms, 
right. um, but not not as a TV commercial. So but how were the first one? Francis. So how is how has the reaction to Viva La Volva being compared to Blood Normal? And, and I'm talking about regulatory uh, 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 TV, oh. etc. Media partners. Well, it, it's um, it's had its fair share of controversies. <laughs> sure it has. <laughs> um, but I, uh, again, the French story is quite interesting because um, they've that by putting it on TV, they've really put their heads above the parapet and, and they've had to um, sort of challenge a few things. And I, 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 it's interesting, I think potentially we thought that once you'd been brave for the first time, you might make the second time easier. And so we, we sort of laugh because after, um, after Blood Normal and we persuaded the regulators to, to, to air it, they kind of went, great, we can't wait to see what you guys do next. And then we showed them Viva Barbara and then, whew, <laughs> so we can't wait we're not sure and so you realize that you constantly have to you know persuade people all over again that you're doing the right thing and why you're doing it i'm sure you guys have seen the thinks um, yes. campaign recently yes. with menstruation which is this idea of kind of imagining a world where where boys have periods mm. i mean that's just great amazing work i don't know what yes. you guys do you, no, you, what uh, do you guys think of it totally agree Totally agree. And again, it's another brand that has a point of view on the world, which is yeah, wonderful. Really strong. And yes. then, of course, the Oscars recently, uh, Freedom Mom, uh, Freedom yes. Mom, which is which is sort of a labor and recovery kit for women mm-hmm. who've just had uh, just had a child. Their spot was uh, particularly raw and yes. was banned uh, from oh, running on the Oscars. Right. 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 I didn't so, know it had been banned. So then, yeah, interesting, isn't it? As it you really say, you, even then, when you think you've you've taken a step forward and people feel more enlightened, there are it, there are still new hurdles to to jump. So Bridget Anger, um, Joint Chief Strategy Officer at uh, Adam Mead Vickers BBDO in London, a real pleasure to talk with you. Thanks for taking the time out. I loved it. Thank you very much, Fergus. To get all the latest episodes, uh, subscribe to the podcast on Apple or on Spotify or any of the major platforms. And if you do happen to see uh, the episodes in your social feeds or you um, see it in any other environment, it would be awesome if you could repost it. It's great if people click the like button and we appreciate that, but really we value far more at the idea of uh, clicking the share button or the retweet button. That just helps to repost it across a larger audience and allows us to sort of get the word out to the broader planning and strategy community. So we appreciate that. We'll see everybody in the next episode.